scripture this morning. We are starting a new message series called Hashtag Life Goals from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But when each one, each one of them came also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thank you, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm David, pastor here at Current. Uh, wasn't Easter fun last week for those of you guys who are here? Man, there is so much to be uh, celebrating coming off of that weekend. We had, over, we had about 330 people attend that day. We like to say it's not about numbers, but just for the understanding of kind of scope of what God was doing. 330 people come over the two services, which, by the way, that was the first time we did two services, which was really fun as, as a church. Uh, Twelve people make faith decisions, uh, including three people who made decisions to follow Jesus for the first time. Uh, all the rest being people coming back to the faith. So can we uh, first start by uh, giving them a hand and celebrating those faith decisions? And then also, can we give another round uh, of applause to all the tireless volunteers that made the, the festivities possible? What a, what a fun day. And, you know, a real quick word on two services. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun, uh, a good amount of work, but, but just a lot of fruitful uh, time and ministry together. Uh, not only would we have not fit in one service uh, if, we had, if we had tried to do that, uh, it wouldn't have worked numerically, uh, but one of the fun things that we've been getting to hear is we've been kind of, you know, hearing how, it's been, how last week went in the teens and just getting feedback and all that sort of thing is how much of a blessing it was for those on teams where they served one and attended one. So think of, for instance, the kids' ministry, where normally they're just back there, and with one service, they unfortunately can't come in and, and be a part of things. They were getting back to us and saying, it was so fun being able to not only serve in a service, but then to come and just, just fully engage and join in the worship service. Uh, boy, when I was hearing that, I was just like, that, that's so fun. Uh, because actually, from the very beginning of starting this church, uh, my biggest, the biggest reason of a hope to get to two services hasn't been because, hey, it would be fun to get that many numbers and all that sort of thing, as fun as that is, is actually to help teams like the kids 
uh, ministry teams be able to be a part of things on a more regular basis. Um, and it seems like God is moving in that direction. So I hope you uh, pray towards that. Uh, it's a very exciting thing uh, that in, in perhaps the not-too-distant uh, future we'll, we'll be moving towards uh, two services. Uh, but not just yet, volunteer teams. <laughs> we'll uh, be, be praying for that, and as God makes it possible and, and brings more folks like yourself, if you're here today, who might be interested in helping uh, make all that goes on here happen. Um, well, if you came last week uh, for the first time and you're, you're coming back today, or maybe today is your first day, I just want to say a, a special and warm welcome to you. I said this last week, but we're so glad you're here. We say every week here at Current that community is a, uh, is, uh, Current is a community following Jesus together, and you're welcome wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. So we hope that this would be a place where you feel a sense of belonging, and we'd love for you to join our growing uh, church family. Uh, welcome. And then please come to the welcome lunch, those tacos. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, uh, today, yes, as Cindy mentioned, we're starting a new series called Hashtag Life Goals. If you are on social media, you are aware of this hashtag of, of life goals. Uh, that's what I want my future kids to dress like, hashtag goals. Uh, I need that puppy in my life, hashtag life goals. Uh, look at that! Look how cute they are in that million-dollar yacht that I'll probably never be able to afford. But hey, goals. Um, we've all got relationship goals, work goals, work-related goals, health goals, life goals, and yet it can easily become overwhelming, exhausting, even feel unattainable at times. But what if the life goals God invites us into are not only possible, uh, but exceedingly better than any that we could plan for or hope for on our own? Uh, in this series, we're going to be considering some of these freeing and exciting life goals that we are, we are meant for. And today, I want to kick it off by considering, uh, by, by looking at something that can get in the way of life goals, that can get in the way of the joy uh, that, that, is, that can be there in life goals, namely, other people's life goals. I want to talk about the comparison trap today, um, it's, which is all too easy to fall into. Uh, Cindy and I will regularly take our kids out to dessert. Uh, from time to time, we'll take our kids out to dessert. Maybe it's after a long weekend, they've been troopers, or maybe it's after a baseball game, we'll take them out to shaved ice, uh, to froyo, whatever it might be. And whenever we tell them we're getting ready to go out to dessert, they're ecstatic. I mean, we're talking, this is a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. They are excited about getting dessert. In fact, our five-year-old will often say, best day ever. <laughs> We have a lot of best day evers at this point, which either means there's not consistent or it's like we're raising the bar each time. I don't know, but a lot of best day evers, like we're going to get fro, yeah. And so, so they're really excited. They're ordering their food, you know, their dessert item, and they're, they can't wait to get it. I pay for it. The employee hands it to them. And you want to guess what they'll often say in that moment? Oh, no fair. How come she got more yogurt? Hey, how come he got more mochi on, on his? And Cindy are like, they're the same size. I actually, this is, this is I wish this was a joke. Uh, I, I wrote the sermon on Thursday, just getting ready for it, just, just writing a draft. And that night was after a baseball game. We took them to, to, to shaved ice. And I'm not making this up. When they got their dessert, before they had taken a bite, they were, taken a bite, they were both like, hey, how come he got more? She got more. I was like, you are so making a sermon illustration. <laughs> like, uh, I actually literally said that to them, and they said, okay, you owe me, you're going to owe us a dollar, which is true, I'll give them a dollar. Um, but, I, you know, you think about this, it's, it's often in moments like these, right, 
that we realize even when goodness comes into our lives, if we're not careful, we'll begin to compare that goodness to somebody else's. Uh, We'll quickly make a sideways glance that can easily rob us of joy um, because we didn't focus on our own life, but instead looked at the life of another. Uh, It's amazing how quickly comparison can begin to rob you and me of the joy that God wants to give us, that He actually makes readily available to us because He loves us, but we begin to compare ourselves to others. And so in the story that was just read, uh, Jesus addresses all of this, and He talks about not only, one, how comparison can rob us of the joy He wants us to experience, but two, how we can have joy and not become overwhelmed or stuck in the comparison trap. In other words, to think about it in, our, in terms of our, our series, uh, one of the most freeing things we can do is not focus so much on other people's goals. Um, Jesus shows us how it can rob us of our joy and how we can overcome it. So let me, let me pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this very, very relevant topic. For I imagine that, that just about everyone in this room, in some form or fashion, uh, experiences this. I know I do, where we compare ourselves, and we realize it robs us of our joy. Whether we're comparing ourselves in ways that we can just quickly and easily identify, yeah, I'm doing that over here or there, or in the ways that we don't even realize we're comparing ourselves to others, and yet still it robs us of our joy, and we don't even realize that it is. Father, would you help us understand what you'd have to teach us in this regard, and would you give us each your spirit now as we, as we want to grow in you today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus often told parables, and in fact, if you want to understand who Jesus is and uh, and, all, and, about his, and all about his teachings, you actually have, really have to understand his parables because about a third of his teachings come in the form of parables. Parables really are a simple story conveying a spiritual truth. They really were Jesus' way of, of holding up a mirror into our lives. I love Jesus' parables because they, they are so timeless. They speak into every generation, every culture down the ages, opening up our hearts in, in, in a way showing us what God would have for us even here and now. And so there's three observations I want to I uh, observe here from this parable that I, think, that, that I think he wants to convey to us in this story. Uh, the first one, and I don't know who coined this phrase, but there's no win in comparison. Uh, Jesus starts this story by saying a landowner went out early in the morning to look for hired uh, for, for workers to hire. A literal translation, translation there is he went out at dusk, which is to say he went out a little bit before 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, back then in that culture, uh, the, the workday was essentially 6 to 6, so it would be kind of like our way of saying the 9 to 5, although in the Silicon Valley, I don't think it's 9 to 5. None of you guys are 9. You know one's getting there at 9 here in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's like 10 or 11 to 11 or whatever. Um, just try to get off shoreline at like 10. You can't do it. Um, but anyways, uh, so, so the, the, the work day was essentially 6 to 6. So early up dusk, before that day started, he was looking to hire some folks. So he got out there, got some folks, sent them into the field. And then he went back out into the marketplace to find more workers at several times throughout the day. So again at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then again at 12 uh, uh, noon, and then 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, always sending more laborers into the field. And of course, with that last group, they were only out there for a mere hour of the workday. Um, but it's important at this point in the story to understand that everybody is at least partially satisfied. Okay? Everybody started out the day with nothing, and now they were all going to at least get something. 
right? So they are all better off than where their story started in that, that morning. None of them were going to go home without something to give to their families, to take care of their, their households and, and whatnot. But notice in this story that if those who had worked the longest had gotten their pay first, they probably would have taken that pay, happy as could be, content as anything, and gone home without any other thought. Um, they had gotten what they agreed to at the beginning of the day. But the owner inverted the order of payment. And so the people who were out working on the field first were also the ones who got paid first, which meant those folks were really delighted when they saw that the other folks were getting paid the amount that they had agreed to early in the morning themselves. And where they got to the place is they were expecting to receive more, presuming that they would be paid more. If they got that much, then we will get even more. But when they got to the table, they were given just the usual payment, one day's worth of, of, of wage. And when they received it, what would have previously them, satisfied them now actually begins to sour them because they compare themselves to the others. Um, the owner responds more or less, listen, there's no injustice here. I'm giving you what you agreed to at the start of the day. And then Jesus, bringing it home in verse 15 with this pivotal point through the, the vineyard owner, says, don't I have the right to do what I have with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So what are we seeing here? What's Jesus' point? We see in this parable that Jesus is affirming the sovereign grace of God, but is doing so while not rejecting any, while, while rejecting any presumption on his grace. Uh, that's to say that grace is always an act of generosity. Grace is always amazing grace. And when you or I start to take grace and calculate it, or expect it, or presume it, or begin to feel entitled because of it, that's the moment that we no longer understand it for what it actually is. And the original workers viewed, therefore, this act of generosity, this act of grace, as an injustice um, because of comparison. Uh, there's no win in comparison. Uh, it seems to me that when we fall into the trap of comparison, uh, two things are, are going to be happening, uh, one, one or the other. So on the one hand, if we start to compare ourselves to someone who's not doing as well as us, you know, however we might measure that, uh, our heart will begin to puff up with pride. Uh, maybe we'll say, you know, I'm, I'm getting ahead of them. You know, I'm, I'm doing better than, than that person. But the problem with that is it's, it's only a short jump to go from I'm doing better than that person to I must be better than that person. And so there can be pride. Um, or maybe you would do the opposite. You don't compare yourself to somebody who is not doing as well, but you compare yourself to somebody who is seemingly doing better than yourself, which can lead to despair or bitterness. Uh, we live, in my humble opinion, in what has to be the generation, time, and place that is most tempted by all of this. I mean, if, if for no other reason than for the advent and rise of social media. When you think about how much we can so easily fall into the comparison trap in this generation. Because all we have to do, and by the way, I'm not against social media, but all we have to do is just jump onto Instagram, just jump onto Facebook, uh, listen to how one entrepreneur and award-winning podcast host put this. He said, we live in a world where everyone is sharing the perfect second of their imperfect day. And we're interpreting that perfect second as, as a life of perfection. However, the reality is much different. They are living a life of quiet desperation like the rest of us. 
Look, we all know that's true because we all know the dirty secret behind those seemingly perfect posts, don't we? It's the post of, of, you know, the people on the tropical island. The sunset's beautiful in the background, uh, and the picture is amazing. But what's happening right after that picture is taken? Oh, there's this bickering argument that started a couple days back over the stress of traveling to get there. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I didn't think that was a joke. No, I wasn't. Or it's the kid just off stage who's having a meltdown because they didn't get enough mochi in their yogurt while that picture's being taken or whatever it is. It's like chaos, 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 perfect selfie, chaos, chaos. I mean, it's, I don't even think that's a slight exaggeration. I mean, it's amazing. If there's ever a generation for us to get caught up in the comparison trap, it's got to be ours. Uh, But there's no win in comparison. Because here's what happens. The moment we begin to compare ourselves to others is the moment we begin to lose gratitude. Um, It's like you've planned a vacation, awesome vacation. You're really excited about this summer. It's all coming together. You're looking forward to it. And then you find out that so-and-so is going over there. And the so-and-sos are doing this or that. And all of a sudden, the vacation that you planned doesn't look so fun anymore. Or it's not, you're not too thrilled about it any, as you were. Or it's like you love your home. You love your neighborhood. You got into that. You saw it as a miraculous thing, which in the Silicon Valley it probably was, that you got where you are. Uh, you love it, but then you go and you visit someone else's home. And you see their stuff. Or you see their neighborhood. You see all that sort of thing. And what you may have interpreted as God's gift to you now is, well, oh, not, not that great. If you want to move from being satisfied to being dissatisfied, here's a fail-safe recipe for that. Compare yourself to others. Because if we do that, we'll begin to think, we'll begin to say things like, why does the world seem to be breaking for them and not for me? Why do they get all of, you know, why do they get to have that better life, that better job, that, that better place to live, that better neighborhood, that better set of friends? Why do they get to eat that better food? Um... It's really funny. I was just thinking about this, like on a personal level, like what ways in which I can just find myself comparing things. And I just, I was just reminded that I just had this weird uh, uh, thing happen in my life. When, when I used to live in Berkeley, I used to always compare uh, the food that I could have been getting down here in the South Bay in the Silicon Valley. Of course, in the city as well. But I was like, oh man, that food, the food's over there is great, and it's not so good here. I, man, if I, man, the people down there have it great. And then I moved down here, and I just want East Bay food again. It's like, they have it so great over there. It's so funny. I mean, that's, I, if you, maybe it's just me. I just think some of us, it's just really, it's really interesting how our hearts work and in the grand scheme. There's no win in comparison. Uh, comparing ourselves to others can easily and quickly rob us of our joy. Uh, second observation. Most of us don't complain when unfairness goes in our favor. Well, I didn't think these are jokes today, but they're, just, <laughs> they're resonating on the heart level. Most of us don't complain when things are unfair. If we had been the, the workers who showed up at 5 o'clock, we'd have gone home pretty happy, right? But the story, is what Jesus is telling, is not so much about them. It's about the people in the beginning. So he's saying, watch out for being the people in the beginning who's like, oh, no. But if, we had been, if those people had been those people, you follow the, the thought there. Um, it's, it's as if we were playing a game of cards, a group of us, and let's say poker, and you were dealt, you know, the first three games, you know, equal shuffling, you know, no, no, no you know, uh, uh, sketchy play here. Like pair of aces, you know, pocket aces for the first three games. And you just take 
big, you know, earnings and winnings in, in that game. It's as if, like, after that third game, you get, you get another pocket ace is dealt to you, and you were to say, you know what, guys, this is really not fair. You know, I just got to gotta give you back what I've, you know, made here. Like, you know, this is not fair. Let's start over. Like, how many of you would say that? Don't raise your hand, okay? It's like, it's just not how we operate. It's not how, how, we, how, we, how, we, how we function. When the owner selects the first set of workers, it's important to notice that each and every one of them hadn't brought anything to the table, hadn't earned anything, hadn't been deserving in any way. There is nothing of merit for their hiring. I mean, unless you, your translation has something that I don't, the landowner didn't go out there and say, all right, guys, I want to see your uh, great picking skills here. Or let's, let's check out your interviewing skills, or let's get your educational background, let's get your, your work ethic, you know, understood, your track record, all that sort of thing. It's just not there. And in fact, part of this is really refreshing about how real Jesus is in this parable. He's saying, he's, he's implying that life isn't fair. Life is unfair, and sometimes that unfair will go in your favor. Sometimes that unfair will not go in your favor. And remember, these parables are, are meant to speak into all cultures throughout ages and time and culture. So if anything, boy, I feel like the arrow is pointing more in our hearts that why do we complain? I mean, we live in this wonderful place, in this wonderful time of history, in terms of what we, I mean, the weather today is just amazing, and it's like this, like, almost every day of the year. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And yet we complain. Uh, what about those around the world who don't have it like this, or where we live, or the, the things that we have at our, our fingertips, and, and so on and so forth? By the way, this parable speaks to them in a completely different light, because ultimately, Jesus isn't talking about worldly things. He's talking about kingdom things. My kingdom is, you know, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. We'll get to that. But in the, in the meantime, where do we get off complaining? There's so much unfair that goes in our favor. Um, you know, it, it makes me think, you know, to, to, as we start to think about this practically, like what we can do. Um, here's what I would suggest to you and what I'm going to be thinking about is the next time you find yourself comparing yourself to others, Maybe you're complaining about something. Maybe you're complaining to God about something. Why, why do they have it better? Why don't I have it? Next time we go to compare, what if we stopped, we paused, and we considered all the amazing things that God is doing in our life? The good. Um, dare I say the unfair in our favor, although that's not what it's about. I mean, just the good that's in our life. I mean, there's just so much perspective there that we just, that we just miss. Um, what if when you feel things are, are really hard, you pause and you took in what is good? Uh, third observation, last one, uh, how you think will determine how you think. Uh, how you think determines how you think. Consider if the workers in this story, that if instead of comparing themselves to the others, each of them instead compared their story at the end to their story at the beginning. Like, imagine if they had said, you know, oh, we got this and they got that. Well, imagine if they had just said, let me just take perspective in, into what I now have that I didn't have at the beginning of my story. They would have been grateful. They would have been very happy. They would have had joy. You know, to make the jump into our lives, this is where it really starts to work over in my heart. Um, because what if we compared our lives today to the beginning of our story? And when I say the beginning, I'm talking about the very beginning. What about the gift of life itself? 
What about the gift of existence? What about the gift of being born? Uh, really, the comparison trap in light of that starts to feel a little petty. Um, because whether you're religious or not, you believe in God or not, your being born is utterly miraculous. In fact, dare I say, in some senses, if you don't believe in God, it seems all the more miraculous. How would you begin to calculate the odds of that happening? Um, but if in God uh, you are, our, our, our being here, the beginning of our story is an utter gift of generosity by, by which we deserve nothing. What we, are, we, are, we have zero entitlement to uh, because of anything we have done. There's nothing on our part that we did to make it happen. And that starts to give us real perspective, does it not? Um, the workers were at the complete mercy of another for their employment. And you know, most of us, we have a deep aversion to this sort of, of powerlessness. But here are the facts. None of us willed ourselves into existence. We're alive today out of no right or stake or claim or sense of deserving. If you exist today, you were called into existence by a power greater than yourself. And if you're willing to be honest and look at that and accept that fact, then that means God isn't just anyone, but he's the one who wanted you to exist. Isn't that a mind-boggling thought, by the way? If you're a follower of God, follower of Jesus, you can go and pray to him today. You can address him as, Dear one who wanted me to exist. What are we talking about here? What is Jesus' point? He's showing us God's sheer act of joyful and infinitely generous grace. David, where do you get the infinite thought? This story is a foretaste of the gospel. This parable, like every other parable Jesus tastes, uh, 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 shares, was pointing towards the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is of infinitely better and greater worth. Look at verse 4. The owner says, go and work. I will pay you whatever is right. Remember verse 1, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of, ho- uh, of heaven. So in the kingdom of heaven, if, if we were to deserve payment in that realm of things, what is right to be paid? So if God is the landowner, which of clearly Jesus is, is uh, talking about, and if we are the workers, which is clearly what he's, what he's implying, uh, what would our work be for God in this situation, in the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's, of course, to be the people he's called us to be, to love, care, serve selflessly, generously others before ourselves, to be loving and caring of of him, to serve him. But in the grand scheme of it, how much of that do we actually earn in terms of a payment? The Bible would say, actually, we don't deserve payment. We deserve to pay. Um, In the kingdom of heaven, the There's no payment that we get at the end of the day in that scheme of things. Actually, if anything, it shows that we deserve to pay. And that's, of course, what Jesus came to do. That's what the cross is all about. On the cross, Jesus paid our payment that we deserved to give us the love and life that we don't deserve. That is what this parable is about. Not about, wow, I got this denarius, this one day's work. No, we get eternal life in Jesus' name because of what he has done. And there's nothing to compare to that. If that is what the beginning of our story is, that God brought us into existence because he wants us to be in existence, he loves us, and that he, the end of the story is he makes available by, by a sheer act of grace that all we, do is, all we can do is receive it and say thank you for. 
eternal life in his name, a restored relationship with him. If that's the end and the beginning, what about all the complaining? Where does that leave the complaining in, the, in between? Answer that. There's no place for it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. And so, therefore, how you think will determine how you think. That uh, English word, our English word for think is actually the same uh, Latin root word for think, um, which means it will change the way you think if you change the way you think. Those, those words kind of go together in our language, which is interesting. But what this means for us is the antidote to the comparison trap, the antidote to having our joy robbed when we see other people's life goals, when we see other people uh, doing something that we wish we could do or, or whatever it may be. The antidote to all that is to be grateful, to, ha- to have an attitude of gratitude. To let that affect the way that we think, to be thankful for that, because Jesus, from the beginning to in Jesus, from the beginning to the end, he, he does nothing but lavish his generous grace on us. I heard a story about a gal who was uh, born into a large family. I think she was number five of I don't know how many kids, um, but she was born perfect and beautiful in every way except without any arms or legs. Actually, her parents knew that she was going to come into this life through all the testing and monitoring, you know, with, with this condition that she wasn't going to have arms and legs, and they chose to have her because they, they counted, it, counted it grace to have her. And she grew up to have a wonderful life. I mean, she's just a, a wonderful, smart, friendly person. In fact, the clo- those closest to her all said that she just has a real gift at uh, loving people and bringing people together who um, are just different in nature, but, but bringing people together. And she often attributed that, that kind of ability that she had due to her condition, just empathy and sympathy and whatnot. Anyway, she was once asked as a young adult, what keeps you from boiling up with resentment toward God? And here's what she said, more or less. She said, I realize that if I compare myself to most people and what they have, it doesn't seem like I have a whole lot. But compared to never being born, I'm the luckiest person in the world. I'm able to see, taste, feel. I've been able to read some of the best literature literature this world has to offer. I've been able to listen to some of the best music this world has to offer. I've been able to make some of the best of friends that this world has to offer. And I realize if I compare myself to others, it would be understood that I don't have much. But when I compare myself to not being born and the grace of God in my life, And what he's done for me and where he's taking me, I consider myself the wealthiest person in the world. If God has given us his son, how much more will he graciously give us all things that we need? Um, The comparison trap can easily rob us of our joy, but God gave us everything in his son. Um, So let's make it our hashtag life goal to draw from who he is and what he has done and find our joy in him. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him into the field, and not just into the field to to work and make wages, but into the field to die for the payment that that we deserve in order to bring us into life with you forever. Not because of anything we can do or anything we deserve, but completely because of who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Father, we start by saying thank you. And if there's anybody here today who's not received you, I, I pray that you would draw them into your family, even now. In fact, if you're here today, you can pray this prayer. You can say, God, I want to be in your family. I receive what Jesus did on the cross for me by forgiving my sins. 
and that through the Father raising him to life on the third day, I can have life in him. You can pray that prayer, and he'll receive you into his family. But Father, we just ask for your help, that we would focus on you, love you, lift you up, and not get distracted by things around us, including what others are doing or not doing, but you would help us to find our, our joy infinitely in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.